Well, good evening. Welcome to our revival service on Monday night, February the 15th. There, I missed the date again. 16th, and uh, sadly, we had to uh, cancel our service, but we're glad we can at least be here to record. And Brother Ted's going to come preach the Word of God for us. Uh, we're thankful. I wanted to mention this to everyone that listening or watching. Uh, watch those videos and get someone to watch them with you or call them let, them, let them know where to go to find it, and try to get as many people as you can to tune in and uh, uh, listen to these messages. So uh, it's on Spotify, a podcast, um, on the uh, Facebook, uh, YouTube, however you, you want to do that, but uh, please take advantage of that. Use it as a, a witnessing tool and uh, call some lost friends, call saved friends, and, and and get them to watch. All right, well, Brother Ted, we're so thankful for you being here. You come and preach to us tonight. God bless you. All right, just to clarify, it is Monday the 15th, and uh, I was going to get up here and try to uh, criticize all the liberal Christians that didn't come out with this beautiful sunny weather, but I don't know if we could have had worse weather uh, for a meeting than what we're having today. It is blowing, and we came over from the fellowship hall where we are staying, and uh, by the time I, my family left, and I forgot something there, and I had to go back, and by the time I got to the church building, I could no longer see their footprints, and that was about 30 seconds. That's how hard the wind is blowing, and the snow is drifting out there, but uh, so, but the Lord is good, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here, and if you would, take your Bible and turn over to the book of First Peter with me. 1 Peter chapter number 2, and I'm going to try to find my place here. 1 Peter chapter number 2, we have been preaching through a series, and um, we are going to continue on in that series here this evening, and I'm very thankful for the opportunity to just take a, a real good look and focus on some scriptures together, and I hope that you will uh, take the time to listen to the entirety of the message, and we'll try to uh, keep it within the time frame so we can get it on the podcast and all of that. And so, as normal, I'll have to speak a little bit fast as I go through this, but hopefully get you the thought, and this is all, uh, a lot of this the Lord has just been giving me recently. And uh, so we've been looking at this, this is the, the Bible's moral compass, and what we in essence said that, uh, what, what took place here in First Peter, was that uh, Peter's giving a bunch of instructions through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and then he comes down to verse number 17, and he kind of summarizes uh, all the things that he said in the entirety of the chapter, not just the previous several verses, which we looked at uh, at the outset of the messages yesterday, but the, really the entire chapter. And he summarizes them in four statements in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 17. And uh, we looked last night, we found true north on the moral compass, amen. And uh, we said that true north was fearing God. And uh, so we, what we talked about is really people today losing their moral compass, America losing its moral compass, churches losing their moral compass, and the way to get that back is to first find our true north. And we said that that was probably the most prevalent or prominent or eminent statement within uh, verse number 17 here, and that is to fear God. And allow me to, to, to uh, secondly direct your attention to the other vertical or spiritual point on this moral compass. If you remember, we said that the vertical uh, points referenced uh, uh, spirituality, and then the vertical points referenced uh, carnality or, or a fleshly sense, and we'll look at that here uh, in a little bit. But uh, look, if you would, with me to verse number 17. We'll just read this, and then we'll pray, and we'll jump in. Verse number 17 of 1 Peter, chapter number 2. For sake of time, we'll not take all of the context. We just really want to focus on this verse. The Bible said, Honor all men, and this again is a conglomeration of all the truths within this chapter, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the King. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you again for this good word of God that you've given to us. Thank you for this precious verse and the truths that are in it. Lord, if we could attain to these things, oh, how it would change our lives and how it would change the world if we would truly apply these things to our lives and we would yield ourselves to you. So I pray, Father, as we look at this second point, as we looked very closely last night at fearing God and how that is so important to, to set our ship aright, Help us today, this evening, Lord, to uh, look at this next point, and uh, I pray, God, that we would see how they work together, and, I, and Lord, I pray that we could see how that you want to use this in our lives to change us so that we can be what you'd have us to be. 
work in this uh, service now. We pray you bind the devil and all distractions away from this place. And may the Word of God have free course just now, we pray. I lean upon you, I depend upon you as best I can. Would you help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. Now, again, with north established, with fearing God in place, we can now look to the south and consider what effect that has on another biblical command. Now, there's a reason that I say that, because quite honestly, if you did not get point number one yet, if you do not understand that there has to be a fear of God, not just a fear of consequences, I won't rehash everything we said last night, but an honest-to-goodness fear of the God of heaven, a, a, an ultimate respect and a reverence for Him, then none of these other points in verse number 17 are going to, they're all going to be out of kilter if we don't learn how to fear God. So we're going to see what this, uh, the effect fearing God has on the next point, and our next point is found in verse number 17 as well, and it is simply this, the command, love the brotherhood. And let me just say again, if you don't love the brotherhood, you don't really fear God. You can say that you fear God, you can even believe that you fear God, but the proof is in the pudding, if we fear God, all of these other things will begin to fall into place, and you will love the brotherhood. Now let me restate, just for emphasis, and I happen to appreciate how all four of these points in verse number 17, it's a very unique verse of Scripture. We talked about this, but again, I realize it's a small detail, but in my mind, it serves to really make a good point. All of these four points of the moral compass, they end in a period and not a comma. There's no, in other words, fear God, period. No exceptions, no exemptions, no excuses. We are simply commanded to fear God, and we should never argue with that. We should seek to, the rest of our days, figure out how to fear God, according to the Scripture. Scriptures. And now we find this evening that we're looking at love the brotherhood. Well, let me say love the brotherhood, period. And again, no exceptions, there's no exemptions, and there's no excuses. We are commanded as believers to love the brotherhood. You know, it's interesting how people have a way of coming up with all sorts of excuses for not fearing God. Amen? That they want to do what they want to do is the ultimate reason. But every one of these excuses is illegitimate, uh, for it is just and right for us to fear the one who created us. He literally holds our eternal future in the palm of his hand. And so it is just and right for us to fear God, and no excuses will ever be accepted for that. And when it comes to loving the brotherhood, may I just say once again that people offer up all sorts of excuses. Well, I can't love my brother because of what he said. I can't love my sister because of what she did. Do you know how they treat people? Do you understand what kind of people these are? I've heard every excuse in the book as to why people can't really love the brotherhood or just choose not to love the brotherhood. But can I just remind you, love the brotherhood, it's a command Period. No excuses, no exemptions. There's no legitimate excuse for not loving the brotherhood. Well, if I'm going to obey the command to love the brotherhood, first of all, I thought it'd be good if we know exactly what that means. Because when you just read it, you have the sense that this has to do with your brothers and sisters in Christ, with your church relationships and all of that. But before we go any further, I want to try to clarify exactly what the Bible's talking about. First, what I'd like to do before I really go any further is allow me to clarify what love the brotherhood does not mean. You know, when Peter speaks here of loving the brotherhood, and I hate to even have to get into this, but you know, there's so much heresy out there today, and there's so much confusion about this. Let me just state that he is not speaking of what men often call the universal brotherhood of man. You know, that is a big deal today, and it's a philosophy, really. It's an ancient, wicked philosophy. It's been around for millenniums, and uh, this stuff is being pushed on our children today. It's being pushed in universities today. It's being pushed by a lot of religious institutions today, this universal brotherhood of man. Let me just say, that is not what Peter has in mind when he's talking about loving the brotherhood. You say, I'm not familiar with this heresy. Well, that's probably good. Let me just forewarn you what it is so you can recognize it, and hopefully you'll reject it because the Bible is the basis for what we believe in. This is what the universal brotherhood of man means. We believe, quoting, in the kingdom of God as the divine rule in human society and in the brotherhood of man under the fatherhood of God. So that makes everybody breathing air all of a sudden a brother and God as their father. We understand that without the new birth, you're born in a natural uh, lost state and you can never be connected to brothers and sisters in Christ without that new birth. Let me go further, quoting, thus affirms the Korean creed. God's people have always had a dream. Abraham dreamed of a people who were faithful to one God. Moses dreamed of a promised land where people would live 
live together in freedom and harmony. Isaiah dreamed. You notice the twist on Scripture. They've got a lot of dreaming going on here. Amen. Isaiah dreamed of a day when all nations would convert their instruments of war into instruments of peace. By the way, that was not a dream. That was a prophecy concerning the millennial kingdom. Amen. That was a prophecy that is literally fulfilled in the nation of Israel. And then this last statement, I want you to catch this, quoting, Jesus had a dream of human society living together under the divine rule of our Heavenly Father. The recognition that we were all created by the Father, and thus we are, in fact, sisters and brothers. Let me tell you what Jesus spoke about, the kingdom of God. He was speaking about the kingdom of heaven come to this earth, amen, for the thousand-year millennial reign, and that includes people who are saved and only people who are saved by the grace of God. There are, of course, the Jews that are resurrected just prior to that millennial kingdom. There are those of us that are saved by the grace of God who will be raptured, coming back with Jesus to Armageddon, who will also be a part of that kingdom. And then, of course, there are the Gentiles who are saved through tribulation and will enter that with natural bodies. We could go further, but let me just say this. Jesus wasn't dreaming about a day when everybody would just be declared to be brothers and sisters under God. In fact, Jesus spoke of the fact that many there be which go in there at. That's a place called hell. Jesus said, narrows a way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. And so in no way, shape, or form did Jesus promote this idea that we're all brothers and sisters. However, once we get saved by the grace of God, everything changes. Amen. And all of a sudden we become attached and there is a brotherhood. And that is what Peter's talking about. So this is obviously not what Peter meant. Your spiritual brothers are not lost heathens. Our brothers and sisters are Christians who are birthed into God's family when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So literally, love the brotherhood means this. Fall in love with the fact that you have a new family identity since the day that you were born again. Now I'm going to tell you what, that means more to some than others simply because of the fact that the earthly family they had it stinks to high heaven. And when they now have a new spiritual family, that means even a little bit more for somebody who had an abusive father, maybe an only child who never knew what it was to have real brothers and sisters. Now they have spiritual brothers and sisters. And so there's a lot of different ways to view this. But the thing is this, if you're saved by the grace of God, it's a blessing no matter what you were before you got saved, you now are in a brotherhood that you were never in before. And so what he's saying is this, love the brotherhood period he's saying this embrace it own it enjoy it just relish in the fact that now you are in a spiritual brotherhood with other people who are saved by the grace of God see God gave you a new father himself amen and new brothers and sisters your fellow church members now that's something to rejoice about right there amen I remember and I, I don't know how many out there will be able to relate to this but I remember when I first got saved when I first surrendered to God I, I had this wrong concept of God you know, I had this new father, but I likened him sadly unto my earthly father until I began to get in the Bible and find out that God's character was nothing like my worldly, lost, abusive father's character. Then I found out, wow, I have not only do I have a better dad, I've got a perfect dad, amen? And there's a brotherhood because all those that have this new perfect father, we are brothers and sisters together, and we're going to spend eternity together, so we probably ought to start getting along right now, amen? We ought to start loving this brotherhood this fact that we have others. Aren't you glad this journey is not just made by you, you all alone? And you, can you imagine being in the auditorium today all by yourself, amen, having to walk with God all by yourself? Isn't it great to come and say, hey, there's other brothers and sisters. They're standing shoulder to shoulder with me. They're striving together with me for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm not the only, quote, nut that loves the King James Bible. I'm not the only one here singing this song. We get to be together to worship Him and to serve Him in this life and that is a blessing from the God of heaven we the family of God should function as a family we really should now see it's right and proper first of all to call each other brother and sister that is a term of endearment in second Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15 the Bible said an account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation listen carefully even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. You know, Paul's spiritual kinfolk, 
They called him brother. Now, Paul was what we'd consider, quote, a great man in time and sense. I mean, this man was used of God tremendously. You'd think they'd say Dr. Paul or man or great man of God or something like that. But you know, there was nothing more precious and sweet and spiritual that they could call him other than brother. They wanted it to be known. He's attached to us and we're attached to him and we're all together doing the same thing, serving the same God. There's something wonderful about that. And they called Paul brother. I remember years ago, my wife's mom, she got a little bit confused because I just took that literally, amen. When I saw in the Bible, I was a part of a new family. I just called people brother and called people sister. And I, me- I remember one time, I, uh, my, my wife's mother, she thought that sister was a nun term. I was mentioning sister so-and-so and, you know, brother so-and-so. And she thought I was talking about monks and nuns or something like that, you know, in the Catholic institution. May I say, if there's anybody that doesn't have a right to use it, it's those that are not saved. And I get there may be somebody saved in the Catholic institution, but I'm going to tell this, if you're steeped in nunnery, you probably don't really know what it is to experience the new birth and to be able to call each other brother and to call each other sister. I remember recent, I don't know if it was a text or an email, but somehow something happened and it was it was signed sister or said sister. I had a Christian woman say to me, I knew it had to be you because you're the only one that calls me sister, amen? And I'll I, I just be honest with you, I can't help that others don't embrace it. Why am I the only one that calls her sister, amen? I can't change people's vocabulary, but what I I can do as I can preach this to you folks if we're a part of a family why don't we start acting like it amen and I can say this here goes it's right and proper to refer to your spiritual kinfolk as brother and as sister and I believe that some people are probably resistant to that because they don't want to let anybody in any closer than about right here they don't really want to embrace this brotherhood and love the brotherhood look I'm gonna tell you one of the greatest things about being saved is now brother Randy Miller's my brother amen that's a wonderful thing and I I know we can go to a lot of jokes right there, but we literally, I mean, it's interesting. I believe brothers like you and two years later come back, pick up right where we left off. We know our love is still in the same place, the kindness and and the camaraderie and the spirit of oneness and the sameness of doctrine and, and striving together. It's a glorious thing that God has given us. And what he's saying is, if you don't love this, there's something wrong with you. And if you fear God, you will begin to love the brotherhood. The brotherhood has to do with church. The brotherhood has to do with with organized prayer meetings together. The brotherhood has to do when two or three are gathered and the specialness of that. The brotherhood has to do with all the precious things of God. They are all surrounded and enjoyed by this brotherhood. Look, if you don't love the brotherhood, you may not like the things of God because most of God's things have to do with not just one person, but corporate worship and corporate prayer and working together with others. So here, let me, just, let me just jump ahead if I may. Let's try to grasp Peter's perspective because I don't want to get too far from the text here. Notice again what he said, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, Peter as a human author has something in mind here. And it's in those who have experienced the second birth. This birth he wrote of back in chapter 1. If you go back to chapter 1 very quickly... And verse number 23, he said this. Please look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. And I believe really in context of the whole book, chapter by chapter, Peter was referencing this. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. So when we're born again, that means we're birthed into another family. We are literally partakers of the divine nature of God. We're given the genetic code of God, and we now partake of all the precious, wonderful gifts that God has given in the family. By the way, every child of God is an heir in the same fashion that Jesus is. We're literally joint heirs with Him. Amen? So all the precious things that Christ gets, we get to enjoy them as well. I know it's often been said, blood is thicker than water. You ever heard that statement? And uh, really, that's speaking of the strength of family ties, and that's what they're really saying. They'll say, well, 
you might have a boss you're friends with or you might have a friend out there but the family ties that blood is always thicker than water but may I just say there's something that is even thicker than man's blood and that thing is Jesus Christ's blood amen as thick as the blood of man is in your family and those to whom you share that bloodline with with your parents and your brothers your sisters your aunts your uncles your cousins by the dozens there is a blood that is much thicker and a bond that is much deeper and much longer the breadth and the height and the width of it my friend is unexplainable look we're on this journey for eternity it is time that we start to embrace it and love it it's not going to end when life ends we're going to carry this joy into eternity as part of the family of God so the blood of Jesus Christ binds us eternally and inseparably look if you would over to Revelation chapter 1 quickly and we see this illustrated in Revelation chapter 1 I don't know about you, but if you don't love church, I don't know what, how are you even enjoying your Christian life, amen? Church is the centerpiece. It's where people gather. It's where that family of God comes together. And we're supposed to love that, amen? Every part of it. Revelation chapter 1. And I'll just be honest with you, there's an ache in my heart. Uh, and you may think, I'm just saying this, or it's, it's silly, but I missed prayer meeting last night. I, it just totally, nobody reminded me because I'm, I don't have half a brain, amen, and I totally forgot about that. When I came and heard you guys praying, I thought, man, that aches my heart, not just because I wanted to be there for the show, because you all know I'm absent-minded. I, I didn't want to miss that. There's a camaraderie in that prayer room. That's special. Those are glorious things, and we're to love those things, and I hated to miss it. Why? Because I love the brotherhood, amen? I love those things. I just don't want to miss that. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, we, we see this idea that Christ binds us eternally and inseparably. This is not a bond that is going to die. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, notice what he said. And notice the word us is used twice in reference to the blood that binds us. It said, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved who? Us. And washed, he didn't say washed me, he said washed us from our sins, our sins in his own blood. There's a corporate sense in this text of scripture. What he's saying is, hey, the blood didn't just wash me, it washed us. Those of us that are saved can all enjoy and relish and appreciate the truth that he puts forth there. And so the blood of Christ is an eternal bond. It does not end here. Look in your Bible very quickly to Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll illustrate this. Ephesians chapter number 3. In fact, did you know that some of the brotherhood you're supposed to love is already up in heaven? Amen. And so they're here and they're there at the same time. So this is not just something in time and space here, but this is something that is an eternal bond that God gives us. We are literally adopted into the family of God and that is not going to change. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 he said, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, of whom the whole family, amen. You ever go to a family reunion? Boy, isn't it glorious when the whole family makes it in? Well, Aunt Matilda couldn't make it. You know, Uncle Henry's sick in the hospital. You know, that's sad. But isn't it glorious when you go? It's like, hey, the whole family made it. Can I tell you something? If you are truly born into the family of God, the whole family's going to make it. Amen. Not one will be left behind. Nobody's going to miss that glorious reunion in heaven. But he said, of whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is named. My friend, that family is represented right now in heaven. And that family right now is represented on earth as well and so I'm saying this is an eternal bond and we are to fall in love with it now you have spiritual family members in heaven right now and on earth and you know it's interesting because I used to hear people say this then when you start crossing 50 and start heading towards 60 all of a sudden you realize wow there's this pivot point you're thinking man I know more people that are saved up there than I do know maybe people that are down here you see these giants of the faith passing off the scene Stinnett Baloo just went home to heaven and Sammy Allen just went home to heaven and there's just a host of them that God just recently took and great preachers wives that just recently went on to heaven and it makes you realize man what a special family reunion that's going to be when we all get together and that great camp meeting in the sky amen and we're, to, we're supposed to love that and long for that and look forward to that but listen it's also good for us to remember where we were before we became members of the family 
And I'm going to tell you what, we're in another family. We're in a family that was on its way to hell. We're in a family that was shipwrecking in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You could turn there if you like, but <clears throat> let me read this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. See, it's not that big a deal to be a part of the brotherhood. Well, I'm going to tell you what, when you begin to remember the part of the brotherhood you were in, it be you begin to realize what a blessing that it truly is to be saved out of that mess and that attachment and that bunch of misfits and to be placed into this glorious family of God in 1 Corinthians 2.14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him. That's a natural family. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The plain and simple truth is in our natural state, the Bible makes it clear we cannot receive the things of God, their foolishness to us, simply because at birth, I'm talking about your physical birth, you were born into the family of the devil. I say, man, that's not a very appealing truth, but it is truth nonetheless. You and I were born into the family of the, family of the devil. You say, well, where do you get that from Scripture? I'm so glad you asked, amen. Jesus said to the extremely religious Pharisees of his day, of his day men who were born Jews physically, in cha John chapter number 8, verse 44, Jesus said this, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. Now that wasn't just some people. What Jesus was stating is you are because you're not saved and everyone else that's a, didn't have to be a bad Pharisee, didn't have to take on the traditions of the fathers and make no and void the traditions of or what the Bible had to say. This wasn't just about the Pharisees. All lost people are born into the family of the devil. And so at our physical birth, we're born into Satan's family. We're all then sinners by nature. But praise the Lord. Lord, through the blood of Jesus, we're given an opportunity to be born again spiritually and thereby adopted into the family of God and given a brand new father. Amen. This is why Jesus said uh, what he said there to the religious Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and it's corrupt. And that which is born of the spirit is is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. I was born in the flesh and I was in the family of the devil, but now God put me in, quote, the brotherhood. Amen. By His grace, His mercy. I didn't do this, but I'm to embrace it and I'm again commanded, love the brotherhood. Amen. So if you can't get along with anybody, you're not obeying His command. If you, I heard a lot of people say this over the years. Well, I don't really like to go to church because I don't like crowds. Now, I get you don't like some crowds, but you're commanded to like this crowd, amen? You're commanded to like the crowd God put you with and put you in. And although you may not like, you know, there's a lot of things God commanded. I don't necessarily, my flesh don't like them, but I better do them, amen? Now, I'm glad it never was difficult for me to love the brotherhood. I think it's a wonderful thing to be saved and to be placed in the family of God with other believers. I would, I'm a person who likes to be around people, amen? My wife had to give me trouble over the years because there are times I'd say, well, hey, we're going here, you know, and have this special day with the family. Why don't we invite brother so-and-so? He is nearby. And of course, men are like that. They don't think, and their wife has to train them and teach them, amen? And so I've been in training for quite a long time. But why is it? It wasn't because I wanted to slight my family. I just love fellowship, amen? I love being around other brothers. And you say, why is that? Because you just like to eat. I know it may appear that way. I like to kick around doctrine. I like to just talk about what God's doing in our lives. I like to pray with them. I just like to get together. Why? Because we're commanded to love the brotherhood. Amen? And so the bottom line here is that Peter's talking about the love that brothers and sisters in Christ ought to have and show toward one another. You say, well, why is that? Why does he have to command us this? First of all, let me give you just a few simple points. First of all, love the brotherhood, number one, because of your adoption. Now, we touched on this, but let me just say that there's this fact that believers in Christ have been transformed into brothers and sisters in the Lord by being washed in the same precious blood and thereby cleansed from the stain of our sin. Also at that same moment, we're adopted into the same family. You ever think about that? 
Jesus' sacrifice was good for you, but not just you. The same sacrifice was good enough for me. And the same sacrifice was efficacious to everyone who's ever been saved. And by the way, everyone who's never been saved, it is efficacious unto them if they'll only just believe and repent and be saved by the grace of God. It was interesting. I don't want to get parked on this too long, but I was watching an old R.C. Sproul video the other day. I love to examine what the Calvinists are saying, amen, so I can preach properly against it, amen. But he was talking about limited atonement. And he opened up his dissertation by saying, well, people misunderstand us. They think we're saying that Christ didn't have the ability uh, to save everyone. That's not at all what we're saying. We're not saying they're saying that. But what they are saying is Christ chose only to offer salvation to certain people. So R.C. Sproul, the great theologue and the great intelligent one, and the one that fancies himself such a scholar, he used a straw man to open up his argument. Look, folks, it is wrong no matter if you say Jesus had the power only to save some or Jesus only offered salvation to some. Both of those things are unscriptural equally. But what we're saying, my friend, is the Bible teaches that the blood of Jesus Christ could cause everyone who would come to be a part of the family of God. Hallelujah, that excites me, amen. I'm glad Jesus is no respecter of persons, amen. He looks down and sees everyone as a needy sinner. He cares for everyone and he died for everyone, amen. Now, say, man, we're, you're all adopted. Doesn't that make you special? Well, we're not perfect, amen. We're just forgiven. We got to remember that, amen. Along with the blessings of it, let us not get prideful. We're in the family of God. You see, that's what Calvinism does a lot of these people. We were elect and we're a part of the family of God. And why should we reach out to other people? Oh, my friend, listen. Had it not been for the grace of God, none of us would have been saved. And so we've got to remember, we're not perfect, amen. Not yet, hallelujah, but someday we'll be like the Lord Jesus. Now, may I just say that contrary to widely held human opinion, believers are not merely members of a social society, but rather are all officially adopted members of a family. Family, the family of God. It, go, to, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to look at verse number 5 with me in Ephesians chapter number 1. There is an adoption that we must understand in order to love the brotherhood. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 5, the Bible said, Having predestinated us, that is those who have repented of their sin and been born again. Amen. It's talking, so it's talking... <laughs> about predestined believers, amen? And that's who he's talking to as believers, by the way. Uh, having predestined under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Not only that, but as part of the salvation adoption process, believers are given a new spiritual nature through the presence of the Holy Spirit taking up residence within them. And his presence gives us a family affinity. Now, what does that mean? When you become a part of the family, there's something about the kindred spirit that is expected and normal amongst the other family members. Affinity means this, a spontaneous or natural liking or sympathy for someone or something. There's a connectedness we have. See, the presence of the Holy Spirit causes us to have a strong connection one to another. The Apostle Paul addressed this sensing of a family affinity in Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 when he wrote this, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Say, how do you know? I mean, can you feel it? You just know, amen? How do you know you're in the family? Because God will notify you first, amen? There'll be an assurance and the witness will live inside of you. In other words, you know what I'm talking about. Even when two believers meet for the first time, there's a sense that they already know one another because they have this common Father who is in heaven and a Savior, Jesus Christ, and a common resident within them. They both have the Holy Spirit. It's a glorious thing, you see. We're in Boston. Austin, my wife and I, and uh, we had to do a pre-tour a couple of years ago in preparation for a New England Couples Baptist Heritage Tour. And so I, I looked at the calendar and I thought, you know, what what's crazy is really over the 4th of July, it's about the only time it's really going to work for us. And she said, well, you know, it'd be great to be in Boston over the 4th. I said, yeah, that'd be great. And, 
So we decided to go up there and spend a few days there in Boston. If you've never done that on the fourth, let me just put a plug in. I won't tell you all about it, but it's glorious. They do this march down through the streets with a big parade, and they shoot off the muskets, and they're all in uniform. They go lay wreaths on the founding fathers' graves, and then they read the declaration from the balcony from where it was first read in October of 1776. Man, the streets are filled. They shoot off these confetti cannons fireworks over the Charles River. It was just a wonderful time. But one of the highlights of that trip that we talked about over and over and over happened while we were just in the middle of the day after the parade was over, waiting for the Boston Pops to start their symphony down by the Esplanade there and waiting for the howitzer cannons to fire and all of that. We were standing in front of an old historic church and we bumped into a couple, hear this, from central Scotland. We began to talk to them and what's amazing is my wife and her got pulled aside, and it was like they're old friends. I mean, it was like she was talking to her best friend from our home church. I get to talking to him, and I'm sure we could have talked long enough, found some things to disagree on, but we realized immediately there was a gravitation because there was so much more that we did agree upon. Hey, the most important things, Christ is our Savior. He died for us. They were Christian people. They were kind of hoping they could get into this church, and I had toured people in this church numerous times, but listen to this. I'm talking about that family affinity that happens when you're all adults adopted into the same family. By the time we were done, they literally offered us a place uh, to stay while we were in the country. We were getting ready to go over to Scotland. And we told them all about that. And I thought about that, man, why did these people feel comfortable enough to invite a big ugly dude like me, a stranger, to come and to stay in their home. They had no, no idea what I was capable of or what my background was. or They didn't know if I was on America's Most Wanted. But you know what they had? They had a spirit bearing witness with them saying, Hey, these are good people. These people love God. And we have the same exact vibe. And see, we bore a family resemblance. Resemblance, We are kin, amen. And that was just a really neat thing that took place here. And so what are you trying to say? Look, when we're all in the family of God, God, you meet somebody that's saved by the grace of God, and it's like you just start up right there, fellowship, and it's just normal, and it's natural. And so, my friend, listen, I think that couple, I think they love the brotherhood, don't you? Now, we have people in our churches, they can't wait to leave. They don't fellowship. They don't talk to anybody. They're disconnected. They're seemingly on their way out for years, but never do actually leave. I mean, man, we've got to jump in with both feet and love one another. I mean, this is the command of our Lord that we love the brotherhood. You know, here in the state, this is interesting. I saw an elderly woman in the state of Illinois some years ago. She left large amounts of money to her church. Now, her pastor, he began to pick her up because she was elderly. She was sickly. And uh, he had no idea. Literally, the day she died, he did not know she had a dime to her name. She never lived lavishly. She never said anything about having money. Talked very little about her children other than, would you pray for my children because they're unsaved? And uh, the pastor picked her up again. Never knew she had a dime. But you know what he did? He showed her true family love. Why? Because she was a sister in Jesus Christ. He would have done anything for her. I think he took her to doctor's appointments and ran her here, ran her there, got her groceries and went to visit her all the time and picked her up all the time. But listen, her own flesh and blood children, the moment that she died, they, they came on the scene when she was dead and when they knew she was dead. And then they found out she had left them absolutely nothing. Prior to her death, and I'll tell you why, her blood children treated her like she didn't even exist. And then they went on and fought the church and lost ultimately, trying to get her money over a half a million dollars. She left to the church. They were able to use that towards building their new building. And it was just a glorious thing. But the children questioned, why would she do such a thing? Do you know why she did that? Her spiritual family was closer to her than her own flesh and blood. She had an affinity and a love. She knew they cared and they were going to do everything if she could never give a dime. Maybe that's a reason God never told her to tell them that she had a dime. Amen. But it proved them and they were genuine and they loved her. Look, they they had a love for the brotherhood. She had a love for the brotherhood. And those on the outside, they just can't understand it. It's supernatural. 
and it's glorious and it's wonderful. I often said, and I'm, I'm not happy about this, but I am much closer to many of my spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ than my own flesh and blood. My daddy and I never really had a relationship. It was a pump, pump, punch on the head and you know a kick in the rear and that was our relationship basically and just anger all the time. But now I have a wonderful father and wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ. Man, I'm as happy as a pig in a pile of swamp, amen. And you will be too if you'll just learn to love the brotherhood. The scriptures are clear. Believers ought to love one another. Let me ask you, do we love the brotherhood? Do we love it? Not only should we love the brotherhood because of the adoption, but also love the brotherhood because of the exhortation. I'm talking about the exhortation of Jesus to his disciples. If you'd go to John chapter number 13 with me, you'll see this. There is an adoption, but there's an exhortation that Jesus gives over in John chapter number 13. And if you want people to know Christianity is real, which the, the attack on the genuineness of Christianity and all believers today is huge, it's everywhere and it's getting worse. Jesus said you can authenticate your Christianity by demonstrating love to one another in front of the world. That's what they need to see. When they come in our churches, they need to sense <laughs> that we are a family and we have that family affinity. John chapter 13, verse 34, and notice verse number 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now think about how evangelism is hindered when we don't love the brotherhood. Why would this be one of the four points or one of the four? And if you don't like my little compassing, that's all fine and dandy with me. That's okay. Let me just put it to you this way. There are four principles in verse 17, regardless of whether you equate them to a compass or not. And they encompass the wholeness of the chapter. And they're mighty important principles that we're bringing out. And one of them is that you need to love the brotherhood. Why? Because if you love the brotherhood, then all men will look at that and say, hey, there's something different about that crowd it's genuine it's real love but Christ exhorts us to love the brotherhood notice God the father does not suggest to his children that they love one another he exhorts them he commands it as a testimony to the lost world around them it is a command that is so important that it appears four times in the scriptures all of them flowing from the hand of the apostle john who is by the way the apostle of love amen he is often called <clears throat> for example in little book of second john in its only chapter in verse number five john wrote and now i beseech thee lady not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. He said this, lady, I know you've heard it before. I'm not giving you anything new, but I feel it important to say it again. That's how important it is that you love one another. The truth is when a person, when a person allows their new nature to have its way in their lives, they will love the brotherhood. They will simply love the brethren. Practically, as members of God's family, we need to guard against unchristlike attitudes welling up towards our brethren. And should they come our way, we ought to immediately confess them and forsake them and get on our knees and pray ye one for another. Amen? I mean, we cannot let these bitternesses come into churches and into our hearts and cause trouble. But why, you ask? Because, listen, that's what families do. They forget things. We've had some blips on the radar screen with our children and their spouses and such. In fact, we had a little one today. I don't need necessarily air it out and tell you what it was. But you know, as far as I'm concerned, once it's dealt with, it's in the past. Why? Because we're not going to let anything get in the way of family. We love family. We defend family. We stand behind family. And we, as the people of God, are a family. We can't let anything get in the way. My pride or my opinions or me wanting to have the, the hierarchy or me wanting to have the preeminence. I can't let any of that stuff get in the way. These unchristlike attitudes, they've got to be pushed aside so that we can love the brotherhood properly. You know, it's interesting. I watched a news video from 2019, and this just, it just tickled me a little bit. There's a 30-year-old woman 
And uh, when, when she was just a little old baby, her mother uh, had, she was about a year old, and her mother gave up her brother for adoption. And the story was, and this made national news, it was really cool, but she got on social media, and 29 years earlier, her brother was put up for adoption. She was 30, he was 29 years of, of age, and she found him through social media. It took her quite a while, like a year, to find him. Then finally they had some time, and then finally she came over to his house, and I mean, they just ran up to one another, gave each other a big old hug, and then they're sitting there at the end of the video, and I mean, it was kind of a human interest story. I mean, it's a kind of a hallmark thing, get all teary-eyed. It wasn't really do with God or anything, but it was pretty awesome because they're kind of with their arm around each other and they're like, yep, we got a lot of catching up to do. And you could just sense that family love that they had. And so it was really interesting to me. You see, that's what family does, but you and I have even stronger bonds than that. I mean, these are two people separated. You know, the mom and then the stepdads and all that stuff. And they were just half-brother, but they have the same mother. But look, folks, we don't have to worry about any of those irregularities. Nobody threw us away, amen, like that lady did to her son. We have a beautiful, wonderful story. We were born into a bad family. God saw where we were at, had compassion on us, cared about us, and said, I'm not only going to bring you out and save you. I'm going to let you become a part of a great family, a perfect family. If anything, I'd make mess it up if I have the ability to, amen, because it's a glorious family that God has put us in. You and I have stronger bonds than that human interest story, amen. I want to share one more blessing with you before I finish addressing these two vertical points, fearing God and then loving the brotherhood. And these are the two spiritual points of this moral compass, these vertical points. <clears throat> I want to just share one more thing with you uh, very quickly. About 20 years ago, I spent 15 days in the back mountains of central Romania, and uh, those men were so impoverished, I did not understand this, but uh, I was ready to go in and blast them for the way that they were dressing. Now, never forget, you know, some of them wore the same clothes every day. One guy, he had a Nike shirt on, I'm sure he didn't know what it even said. Some of them had old beat up sneakers, and I was so Americanized and so green at that time, about 20 years ago, and... Uh, I went in, and the fellow I was staying with, we were staying in kind of this little makeshift block, block building, freezing to death. I mean, we'd, we'd have a log, and it would just barely fit in. We'd build a bed of coals. It would die at 4 a.m. You'd wake up freezing to death, teeth chattering, get that fire going again. By that time, it was ready to run off to breakfast. But, but, but I'll never forget, I went in, he said, what are you going to speak on, uh, you know, tomorrow? And I said, I'm going to give it to those guys. They're trained to be preachers, and they've come this far, and you know, all that. And I just think if you're going to be a preacher, you need to look like one, and act like one, dress like one, smell like one. And he said, brother, before you make a big fool out of yourself, let me help you. He said, those fellows wearing them same shirts, like you said, he said, that's probably the only clothing they have. And I, I literally was in disbelief. Am I that stupid to think that people are that impoverished in former communist Romania? And they were. He said, if those are the only sneakers, they're wearing them sneakers, that's, that's all they have. He said, brother, do you realize that they were sponsored to come in here on the trains? Some of them didn't have 50 cents, American, to take the train ride. They come from far points in Romania and outside of Romania. We had at least two translators, one main translator. But for 15 days, we shared the word of God together with those brothers. And I watched, we ate out of the same pot. and They'd fast on... Mondays I think it was and then on Tuesday they'd make a pot of stuff and then on Wednesday they just add a little bit more to the pot and stir back up and we ate out of the same pot and we all sat there and, and ate what was just very little in there just some broth basically is what they ate most of their meals but we shared the word of God and we lived together in those freezing cold cabins and they helped us hump all of our firewood up amen and, and get everything ready and but you know what we all feared God and it was something just really wonderful for 12 hours a day. I would speak to them for eight or nine hours a day in the institute. And I had chalk drawing. And I went through everything I knew and some stuff I didn't know. Amen. Tried to just dump and pour into them everything that I could. They were training to be preachers. And this was their preacher training, you know. And, and, and then we'd, we would, some of them would walk to church. And, and they'd go six, seven miles. And most of them would have to walk down these wet, sloppy, muddy roads. It was in the month of February, I think it was, or January when I was there. 
excuse me, they rode me down in a vehicle, and I watched those people come in, and, and I'd watch them look up to the ceiling like they were really believing they were worshiping God, like there was really a God in heaven. And God just so endeared my hearts to those brothers. I, I never forget the last day when it was all over. I had this little old disposable camera back in the day. And I remember I was using those calling cards you used to buy to call my wife back at home. She stayed back and with the children and stuff. They were just itty-bitty then. And, and, but I remember uh, taking some pictures on that little disposable camera. And there's one specific picture I still have. It's with me standing with all those brothers, amen? Now, I'll never forget, and that was on the last day we were there. We all hugged necks, and we all left. And listen, we knew when we all left that day, it was very likely we would never see one another again in this life. But I promise you this, and I carried that picture with me for years and still do to this day. It comes with me pretty much wherever I go. A laminated picture of those guys in Romania. But I'm going to tell you this, my friend. We are all someday soon going to have a reunion around the very throne of God. And those guys will all be there. And my friend, listen, what a special, precious thing it is to think that all of our brothers and sisters, God's not going to leave any behind. We're all going to be there and oh, we're going to love the brotherhood then. Amen? We may not hear, and I'm going to tell you, say, what are you talking about? Look, if we love it up there, don't you think we ought to start trying to love it now? Amen? Ephesians 3, 14 and 15. Again, I want to call your attention to this. For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Some of those men that we are training, they're in their 20s, late 20s. Some of them are in their 30s. Some in their 40s and some in their 50s. It is conceivable that one or more of them are already in heaven, amen? But hallelujah, we're all in the same family, and so we're all going to be together again someday, amen? So here it is. Fear God, period. Love the brotherhood, period. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the privilege we have of being able to have your word. Lord, we would never know where we came from and just how you took us out of the devil's family. Father, we'd never understand that we're adopted and that we're brought into your family. Wouldn't, wouldn't even have the gospel without your precious word. Oh, God, thank you, Lord, for <clears throat> allowing us to have it and study it. And Father, if we could just get this one truth in our heart, to love the brotherhood. Father, would you help us to love church, to let our life revolve around the church, to, to really knit our hearts together with our pastors and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And to really learn to love what you suffered, bled, and died for, to sanctify the church. God, would you please help us? Help us, Lord, to get our moral compass back. Lord, it seems today in this world they've lost their moral compass. And church and being a part of the family of God is the last thing on their mind. Used to be most of America was churched, at least in some way, shape, or form. And now we'd have to say that most of America is unchurched. They don't understand the first thing about love and the brotherhood. God, we may not be able to get our nation where we want it to be, but Father, we can get ourselves where you want us to be. By your grace and mercy, your spirit can help us. So help us individually to love the brotherhood. Help this church, Father, to have a love that is so deep that nothing would ever be able to tear it apart in this world. We know the forces of hell will come against the Knobs Baptist Church in the days, in the weeks, in the months, in the years to come. And all of hell itself would like to destroy this little church up on this knob. But Father, I pray for your blessings. I pray for your empowerment and protection. And God, we know that it will stay together if they learn to love the brotherhood. So Father, give grace and help us to obey you now. In Jesus' name, amen.